morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope you guys are having a wonderful Sunday evening. My name is Johnny Fuent, and this is Fuent Chat with Johnny Fuent. Now, I know a lot of you guys are wondering why this episode has been late, and I want to apologize for that. Had some technical difficulties that have been sorted through, so... We're going to go ahead and get started on this week's episode, and it has been an interesting week, especially with Nintendo and PlayStation having some state of plays. So let's go ahead and jump right in, and of course, we're jumping right in with comics. Starting off, we're going to be talking about X-Men Red Issue 6. Now, of course, like many of the X-Men issues previously talked about, This is part of the Judgment lineup and is going to uh, start off on Mars. Now, I'm going to be really honest. While this book is not too bad, it's not as good as the last one, which basically saw Uranus destroying everything. Anyway, moving on, this book does still take place, as previously stated, on Mars and Arako. Now, they're still continuing to fight Uranus' machines, and besides Magneto and Storm and Richard Ryder, gonna be honest here, I have no idea who most of these guys are. Funny enough, they expect no one to know either, because most of these guys have introductions introducing themselves. Like, I don't know, like a Power Rangers, hey, I'm this, or, or even a kid's show. Hey, I'm the blue dude, hey, I'm the white dude hey i'm the black dude and these are my characteristics if you have no idea who i am just go with it i mean honestly i think that's brilliant because for those who don't really read a lot of these issues x-men red series or haven't really caught up with the x-men series and jumping into this event you could be like okay i somewhat know what's going on and i know who these people may be anyway for pretty much the entire comic A lot of them are destroying these machines as fast as they can because they're basically causing havoc. Magneto is still fighting, which is impressive considering he does not have a heart, and has been using the iron in his blood to pump everything through his body, but is continuously getting weaker and weaker because he has to concentrate on not only fighting, but pumping all this blood throughout his body. Now, the machines... Uh, are revealed to be healing themselves because every time they destroy them about a few minutes later they get back up storm wanting to end this really quickly shocks magneto with lightning to the point to give his body a heartless heartbeat power him up and destroy everything that's made on metal and it is amazing it was like one of those ultimate finisher moves in uh oh god what was that game with marvel ultimate alliance It was really great, and they destroyed all the machines, and then they decide, you know what, we need to deal with Uranus, and uh, go off with a pretty badass uh, ending cover. And this actually leads to the next issue of AXE, which is not too bad. Honestly, they kind of wrap things up with Uranus a little too quickly, which felt anticlimactic. Anyway, uh, the book starts with everyone freaking out because the Celestial is deciding on whether or not the Earth is worthy to live and attempts to judge people throughout the entire day. Captain America is trying to hold off a lot of these protesters and they gang up on him and he's just praying that there's enough people in the world to make a difference when it comes to the judgment. 
It's really uncertain what the criteria is for judgment as it judges people for not tipping, lying to people to make them feel better, and other odd things besides, of course, the standard sins of hate and despair. Uh, Considering uh, what I mean weird, it gives Luke Cage a thumbs down for saying that it will be a better tomorrow and trying to not encourage, but soften the blow of this whole situation. And the Celestial is like, well, you lied, so thumbs down. It also appears to Matt freaking Murdoch, Daredevil, as Jesus. I'm there like, really? You're going to appear to a hardcore Catholic as Jesus? Wow, that's kind of hard freaking core. And he gives him a thumbs down, and then he says he knows. Which kind of sucks, considering where Matt Murdoch is. Like, right now and stuff like that, how he's been through a bunch of stuff, he wants to do more, and does better. If anyone definitely deserved a thumbs up, it was Matt Murdock. Anyway, it gives Kamala a thumbs up after she attacks the Celestial who came in the form of Carol Danvers and promised to take her and her family somewhere safe. And it's like, okay, you knew I was not the real Carol Danvers and you attacked me. Thumbs up. Like I said, it's very weird and there's not gonna say how its criteria for judging people is uh it does appear to miles as peter and gives him a thumbs up now miles being miles has no idea what's going on and that it's not peter giving him a thumbs up i found that hilarious anyway the new star brand gets a thumbs up and it appears to doom and this is my favorite part and tells him that he will give him a thumbs up If he admits that Reed Richards is stronger, not stronger, smarter than him. And Doom, being Doom, just laughs at the notion and he laughs and walks away. Like, I mean, I was worried when I saw Doom was next. I was like, oh God, are they going to actually make him talk, do a speech? But Doom just laughs at the notion and basically passes himself. Uh, the next thing it does is basically goes to Thor, sees the encryption, uh, inscription on his hammer and says that, well, he has to be worthy to wield the hammer. So he passes, uh, the book, well, more the second half of the book follows Star Fox as he travels the world and meets with leaders to try to inspire hope, get the people to see the light pass. So they may get a thumbs up while this is happening. A lot of the heroes break into the machine uh, this is more of this on the Eternal side, and begin to get votes for Star Fox to replace Druig as the Prime Eternal. Druig is losing hope and in the election as a Star Fox basically wins. He unleashes his full machine and begins to attack the capital. This part kind of seemed really rushed, and it was really disappointing, but I mean, I guess they had to get all this stuff out of the way. Uh, Tony also hacks into the machine because Uranus is basically free now and is causing havoc in the celestial or eternal's capital. And while this is happening, they use uh, Uranus's machines against him, use Magneto and storm to power up the machine for another ultimate attack and basically blast a Uranus defeating him. Like I said, very anticlimactic, but uh, my Magneto ends up dying in this process. Because he can't concentrate anymore. And again, no heart. (laughs) Who knew that would be important? Anyway, um, one thing that happens next is the fact that after the big battle, 
After defeating locking him up, the star uh, Star Fox basically walks up to Celestial and says, "We will do better. There is a tomorrow. Earth is full with hope." Yeah. Uh, one thing I did not expect was the Celestial to say that the humans have always said tomorrow, and now tomorrow will never come, and basically puts his thumb down and begins his extermination. He basically begins to kill everyone. And everything to the horror of Captain America, who basically grabs a citizen, shields him, attempts to shield him with his hammer, and everything else besides Captain America and his shield is basically burned away, and all that's left is a skeleton. Captain America looks obviously scared and believes that they are all going to die, and that's how the comic ends. So, what the next stuff may be, I really don't know. Uh, so it should be fun and interesting to see what may happen next. Anyway, uh, that's about it for the whole AXC issues. We're going to be moving on to something I'm really not looking forward to, but we have to talk about it since we've covered the previous issues. So we're just going to go ahead and say it. We're going to be covering Amazing Spider-Man issues 7 and 8 because I'd rather get this out of the way. Now, going off of this, I want to say one thing. I truly believe that Zeb Wells really, really hates Spider-Man. I really do, and this is going to be apparent with talking about these issues. Now, you're going to see his brilliant writing at work. The issue starts with issue 7, with how Adrian Toomes, a.k.a. The Vulture is sitting with his granddaughter, who basically says someone told her about his crimes and how he was the vulture. Yep, somebody told his granddaughter that he was the vulture. The vulture being a Spider-Man villain for years, and she's now finding out about it. The man who's been put in jail, captured on the news. And is now finding out. I mean, could be her IQ. Could be that she really didn't want to know. But I mean, wow. Brilliant writing at work here. Oh my god, it's Shakespearean. It's up there with Shakespeare. Anyway, uh, she says that she can't forgive him for the deaths on his hands. And says she can't be or talk with them anymore. She When now... Vulture says, who told you? And she says that Spider-Man told her. And now he wants revenge on Spider-Man. Anyway, Peter goes to Oscorp to meet with Norman, who has been freed of all sins after what happened with the Sin Eater event. Uh, That was an entire thing, but basically Harry Osborn, who was, I guess, dead, was basically trapped in hell. Now, after No Tomorrow, where Peter wipes out everyone's memories, his memories didn't wipe out. He basically sat in hell and came back and had supernatural powers, where he basically sort of became Ghost Rider for a bit. They dealt with it, he's trapped, and basically uh, he wiped out and ate all of Norman's sins, so he doesn't have any guilt. But he's wanting to be a good person. He basically wiped out all the evil. Anyway, uh, he meets with Norman and runs into MJ, who is surprised to see Peter 
and also runs into her boyfriend. A flashback is shown with Peter being punched by Paul. Peter thinks that Norman is messing with him, but he says he isn't and shows him a suit of his own making. Uh, it cuts to uh, Osborne saying that he wants Peter to wear the suit. Peter, uh, and it, then it cuts again to Peter swinging around New York. And his spider senses go off and Tomb surprise him and takes him high up and basically breaks his web shooters and drops him in the middle very high up to, I think, was Central Park. He begins to fall and begins to overthink and worry because he has no web shooters. Now, they seem to nerf Spider-Man here and gives to- and give Tombs the win because it's kind of like, wait a minute, you're telling me that Peter couldn't break away, distract, use his web shooters very fast, the man who can dodge a bullet after it's been fired couldn't deal with the frickin' vulture? But, I mean, it's Zeb Wells, and he must do what he must do. Anyway, uh, moving on to issue 8, Peter saves himself by from going splat by breaking his cartridges and creating a webnet that catches himself through the trees. Toom zooms in, gra- tackles him, and launches him into a building. Peter calls Norman, telling him to send the suit and that he is dying. He says no. Peter starts running to get away from the vulture, And this is really dumb because the vulture is human, doesn't have super strength or agility, and is old. They basically nerf Spider-Man into saying that he can't fight anybody without his web shooters, or he can't crawl, jump from building to building, or do any of that, or fight the vulture. It's crazy considering he has spider-like agility and has been trained in martial arts. You're telling me he can't crack a good punch with the vulture? Anyway, uh, he basically gets captured by the vulture again, but Spider-Man breaks free, goes on top, and steers him into Oscorp, where he breaks into a window. Tombs being disoriented, looks around, and doesn't notice Peter get into his new suit that Osborne has made, and he has his own glider. Why Spider-Man needs his own glider? Don't know. Now, this suit, all for nothing, is OP. He throws a spider bomb, which has little spiders, which goes into Toom's eye, and he beats him up using his new toys. He webs him up and flies him using his glider, basically, uh, I want to say ram him into a wall. He webs him up, and they have a talk where Spider-Man tells him to look in the mirror since he has a problem with being called a murderer, considering his first uh, thought was to murder Spider-Man. Norman basically uh, talks with Peter afterwards in his office saying he wanted to save Peter using the glider, but the reason he said no was because he felt like if he got on the glider, he wouldn't be able to get off because of his history with the goblin. He asks Peter to work at Oscorp and Peter accepts. Now, again, this is the end of issue eight. I really don't know what's going to be going on. But I'll say this, the one thing I hated about these two issues is how much they basically, again, nerfed Spider-Man, made it seem that Peter is too reliant on his tools and not his actual superpowers. And it's like, really? That's what you're going with? And I find it funny that so many people are swearing off the comic run and they're attempting to save it by putting so-called compliments at the end of the comic from fans 
as if to pat themselves on the back saying, oh my god, you're not ruining Spider-Man with bad stories and bad writing. I'm really not looking forward to what comes next, but of course I will let you guys know. Just please be with us and not buy any more Spider-Man comics so we can say to Marvel, hey, the writing sucks. Get us something better. Anyway, uh, we're going to be moving away from Marvel and talking about DC and talking about Batman vs. Robin issue number one. Now, now, this isn't to be confused with the same comic book series that happened back in 2011. This is a new Batman vs. Robin because apparently Damien and Bruce can't stop fighting each other. Yay. Anyway... Uh, The comic starts with Bruce Wayne at Wayne Manor after moving out and moving into town since Alfred was killed in Bane War. And he wanted to do this to be closer to Gotham, but he gets an unexpected knock at the door and it turns out to be Alfred himself. Now, let's be honest, we all knew Alfred was coming back. It's DC Comics, no one stays dead for long whether or not they're a superhero, a supervillain, I mean, let's be honest, the only person who stays dead is Punisher's family. And I know that's a dark joke, but it's true. Anyway, uh, he talks about, he basically wants to warn Bruce about Bane and Flashpoint uh, Batman. But Bruce informs him that this was months ago. And that he's confused and trying to think if this is actually Alfred or one of his villains trying to pull a prank. Now, he uh, puts Alfred through a bunch of tests, and Alfred passes. Uh, They go to the cave where Alfred was going to show uh, Batman something, but they run into Damien and a couple of magic users. They attack Batman, with Damien saying he's going to kill Bruce. Bruce dodges their attacks and puts on his costume so fast that it would make a speedster blush. I mean, he threw the pellets, and then he was full-on costume. How? The dude was in a three-piece suit. This dude isn't the Flash. They're really giving Batman super speeds with this thing. Anyway, he proceeds to battle them and gets the upper hand when they all turn the tables on Batman and overwhelm him because Batman, as well as he's with normal criminals, he's not that good facing magic because magic is unpredictable. And with uh, Damien basically already in the cave waiting to jump him, he wasn't able to grab his anti-magic material. And yes, he does have anti-magic material. Anyway, uh, Batman and Alfred run with Batman saying that he won't be able to take out the magic users down so easily with Damien there. Damien is surprised to see Alfred, but attempts to still kill Bruce. He catches up with them and basically shoots Bruce with enhanced bullets. Batman, who basically upgraded his armor, escapes with Alfred using the Batboat after they fall. He talks about how Damien seems different and looks like he's possessed. And he also comments that he just upgraded his Batman armor a week prior. So if he didn't, Damien would have killed him. Anyway, uh, they go to a certain house to talk to Satana and Justice League Dark since they are the professionals in the magic I don't want to say era or profession yeah magic profession anyway uh they see Zatanna who is hanging with a broken neck with Schrodinger's noose now if any of you are familiar with Schrodinger's cat this is similar she is dead but not dead at the same time 
She explains that Damien has been poisoned with dark magic and something has been taking out magic users, and that the Justice League Dark has been taken out. Now, one thing I really hate about DC, besides them making 50 Batman specials run at the same time, is really uh, basically putting all these magic users or other heroes in the background so Batman can have the spotlight. Especially when it comes to Justice League Dark. I mean, these guys just took out a god. And you're telling me something just came out, surprised them, and took them all out? I mean, you have John Constantine. The dude took out Lucifer Morningstar, which is basically the devil in DC. And he gets surprised by Damien. I, okay. I mean, sure. We're going with that. We're putting everything else on the back burner just so Batman can be better. Okay. Anyway, uh, he basically, of course... Uh, asks questions and finds out that Constantine Swamp Thing and a few Jason Blood are basically in limbo and is being attacked by weeds. And again, this sucks because this would have been a cool team up with Batman and the Justice League Dark. Anyway, uh, she says uh, she will show what happened to Damien and gives Batman a key. Damien brings another trinket to the demon that he's working for and it shows to have, um, oh, it's not Nightcrawler. It's, oh my god, I forgot the dude's name, but he's a villain of the Justice League Dark. Anyway, uh, the demon uh, is holding Shazam's cape, and next to him is a lantern battery, which is mostly, or most likely, Alan Scott's, because he deals with magic with the Earth's power, in a sense. He also has Dr. Fate's helmet and other trinkets. I mean, no idea who this guy is, no idea what the history behind it. I thought it was Trigon, but doesn't look like him at all. Anyway, I mean, the book isn't bad. It's the new event with Batman, and we're bringing back Alfred, so it should be fun with a Batman-Alfred story. But again, I'm still mad that they're taking another team, Justice League Dark, putting them on the back burner and making Batman the spotlight, the limelight. I mean, at this point, they're really milking the Batman cow. But we'll see what happens next. And like I said before, good comic. I'm honestly can't wait for issue number two. Well, I think that's enough about comics. We're going to be moving on to TV shows. Now, I'm going to be talking about She-Hulk episode three and four and how they've utilized one of the best characters in the MCU in the best way. And that is Wong. Now, I'll say this, uh, some of the things dealing with the Abomination have been a little anticlimactic. Not gonna lie, I was hoping there to be a big fight between She-Hulk and Abomination, but, I mean, this hasn't been too bad either. Now, I will say this, I was not expecting him to actually care about shaping up his life, and this trait was shown throughout episode 3. It was interesting to see how a lot of people went and backed up uh, Abomination and talked about how the good he stuff he's done, how they uh, basically helped, not to mention his seven wives, which was interesting to say the least. I'll say this, I did love how they connected Shang-Chi and Wong and basically Wong admitting to kidnapping him and forcing him to fight mo- probably multiple times. And I love the fact that uh, She-Hulk was also trying to deal with trying to live up to the name She-Hulk, uh, or, uh, basically working way through having a high-profile case. And honestly, the best part of this entire episode 
was when the council was like, okay, uh, we agree to this and this, to letting him go, to letting Eblonsky go. And they turned to Wong and said, so you just admitted to breaking the law and we're going to need to arrest you. And he's like, okay, bye. And just disappears. I loved it because it's like, well, the dude is Sorcerer Supreme and in charge of its, of a nation. So probably have some diplomatic immunity there, but again, loved it. And I will say this, the subplot was not bad with a shape-shifting elf. I just loved when she started quoting Thor and the judge was like, nope, can't quote Thor. (laughs) I loved it. And I saw the end credit with the episode where everyone was making a big deal about the twerking. And I'll say this, if Stanley was alive, the dude would have joined in. Let's be honest, we're talking about the same dude who basically compared touching a comic book to actually talk, uh, touching a breast. Not to mention, played Hugh Hefner in one of the cameos, and was a DJ for a strip club in the Deadpool movie. So, I mean, people saying that, oh, he would have hated it, probably didn't really think about all the other cameos he's done. Let's be honest there. Anyway, we're going to be moving on to episode four, which felt a bit weird for someone like Wong, to try to use the law to get a fake magician to stop practicing magic. You would figure that they would steal his item or just capture him and make him do time in their country for abusing their ways. But again, while unnecessary, it was good to see Wong again. And I will say this, the introduction of Madison was brilliant. While she seemed like a character that would have gotten in everybody's nerves... She was honestly a breath of fresh air, and I love the chemistry between her and Wong. I love the fact that the man is watching Sopranos, and she just spoils everything, and he's like, why? <laughs> and the memes have been brilliant and hilarious. For, fortify your mind. Oh my god, the memes have been really good. And that's how you know that the show is either doing good or bad. It's just seeing the state of the memes. And so far, last episode, episode four, really did some good. Anyway, apparently there's supposed to be some more cameos. And I'll say this, in the episode, the dating subplot was okay. It was not the best. But again, it was not the worst. I did like how Wong was like, you're a Hulk. Start doing Hulk stuff when he basically had her help him throw all those things back. And I guess everyone was trying to throw in Manifesto again with Madison making a deal with a demon, blah, blah, blah. But I will say this, throughout the episode, I was happy to finally see the Wrecking Crew, even though they sucked. But, I mean, it's up against a Hulk, and they were just using magic weapons that weren't that effective. But, anyway, I will say this, I'm wondering if the Wrecking Crew is actually working for the Kingpin. Which would make sense, since Daredevil is said to appear... In the next, not episode 5, but episode 6. So we'll see what happens, and I'm hoping that the Kingpin makes an appearance. Anyway, uh, next week I'll be reviewing both episodes 5 and 6. Anyway, we're going to be moving on and talking about the cyberpunk anime. It has dropped, and not for nothing, it is actually not a bad anime. I really had low expectations, especially after the fiasco that was the video game. But I'm glad to say that it was actually good and lived up. Now, of course, I will state this for the obvious. This is definitely not for kids. 
please do not let your kids watch this. It is not going to end well for anybody. But besides that, definitely would recommend. And again, it's on Netflix. Moving on, we're going to be talking about House of Dragon Episode 4. And my God, was this a doozy. Damon, not only being psychotic, but also crazy. And everybody loves it. He, everyone's rooting for him. People love him. And I can see why. The man is chaotic, evil, or chaotic, neutral, embodied. And, I mean, I love the fact that in the beginning of the episode, he purposely flies low to cause the princess's ship to sway violently. I mean, honestly, that was just, I was like, yep, that seems like him, something he would do. Anyway, uh, Renera in the beginning, uh, of course, is looking to pick her hand. And I love the fact that they had a really old dude and she got annoyed that the fact that they brought a kid... But the kid ends up killing a dude after his honor has been questioned. And she's like, I can learn to like that one. I'm like, you know what? So could I. So could I. Anyway, uh, the episode goes after the whole swaying of the ship. Goes to the king welcoming his brother back in open arms. And also annoyed at Renera for basically cutting her tour short. Where she was basically supposed to find a husband and then her next hand. Damon basically ignored the princess throughout this whole process and for most of the beginning until the middle where he basically uh, sends her a message showing her about the secret entrance out of the castle and basically provides her with commoner clothes and uh, she basically follows him into the city and Renera sees that the people aren't really a fan of the fact that she's going to be queen. But he points out, oh yeah, she also says that the, their opinions don't matter. But Damon says their opinions do matter because she's these are the people she'll be ruling over. And I will say this, was not expecting this episode to turn weird. And when I mean weird, I mean the Targaryens practicing the role of incest again. And I gotta say... Compared to the last time Game of Thrones dealt with incest, people seem to be more okay with it. I mean, the last time with Jamie and Cersei, people were freaking out. People were like, oh my god, how can this happen? They're brother and sister. But now, I mean, people are like, yeah, we're rooting for them. And I'm like, they're niece and uncle. Yeah, not the best combination. But anyway, I'll say this. I do not know why... A Damon didn't go through with the lovemaking. Really don't know why. It was a chaotic moment to say the least. And while this was happening, Alicent was basically staying still while the king was doing his business. And my god, I really, really felt for her. I was like, this is really awkward. And it was more awkward compared to Damon and Renera basically going at each other. But of course, he stopped it before it went further and basically took off. And like I said before, I figured that she would go with Sir Christian, but did not expect her to seduce him and have him deflower her. Anyway, uh, Otto, who has spies everywhere, found out about this and spread rumors. Well, he found out about her and Damon. Anyway, uh, I still really despise him, but like the fact that he had a Tyrion moment and basically has spies everywhere. Anyway, uh, Rhaenyra denied all of this, but Damon really did not, and was thrown out by the king. 
Renera was confronted by Lysand, who basically stated that she put a lot of stuff on risk by doing this, and that her father has been working day and night to find her a suitor and something that would help run the kingdom with a strong alliance. She swears on her dead mother that nothing had happened, which was a lie, and honestly, I can't believe she made that lie. Anyway, uh, she agreed, after having a very heart-to-heart discussion with her father, to marry her cousin, Lenar Valerian, which is the other house of dragons. Anyway, uh, she commented that Otto was a vulture and that the king should do his duty and get rid of him. And he does. And I love the fact that she got the king to fire him because, wow, was I hating Otto. But here's the thing. He is a very convicting man. I have no idea what is going to happen next with all the information he has and what he's going to do either become a big villain or use that information to basically start a rebellion. Anyway, uh, one thing I did find very powerful was at the end with the king basically giving his daughter a drink test. And the drink was basically plan B. She drinks it and admits to lying or not drink it at all and risk getting pregnant. Now, that was very interesting because I don't know what she's going to do. I haven't watched episode 5, and I will be talking about that next week, but still, very powerful, and we'll see what happens. And like I said before, this episode is very chaotic. I loved it, and I have no idea where everything is going to go with the wedding. I really, really am interested to see how far this will most likely go, and how close in season 1 are we going to get to the Dance of the Dragons, which is a tragedy where a majority of the dragons do die. But with season two announced, we'll see where everything goes. Uh, But like I said, very great series, but very weird episode. So just be careful with who you watch it with. Moving on, I'm going to be talking about Ring of Power. Now, the city that uh, Galadriel... And the human go-to has basically sworn off elves. And it's very interesting to see that a city with humans that have helped the elves have such resentment to her. They, She's basically not, I want to say, a prisoner, but they don't want her doing her own thing. And basically have the sea captain who basically brought her to their city uh, basically say... Hey, I did the right thing. She was injured, and it didn't matter that she was an elf. He, uh, She finds out that he is part of the tribe that still trusts elves, and they go out to the temple where they make an interesting discovery. That the fact is that uh, the symbol that Gladriel found in the Snowy Mountain wasn't really a symbol at all, but showing the mountains where their new headquarters were located in the Southlands. And it was very interesting to see that because it was like, huh, I can see why people like miss that. And the fact that the Southlands is, like I said previously, going to be Mordor. We also learned during this episode that Hellbrand is uh, basically royalty and he is the lost king. I want to say this, of course, is very similar to 
Aragorn and him being like the lost heir of Gondor. But anyway, uh, she confronts him about it and says that they need to unite the kingdom of man. Now, while this is all happening, uh, what's his name? Uh, Arondor, God, I'm probably butchering his name right now, is basically still in prison and finds out that he is not the only elf there. And everyone in the elf tower that was watching over everything is also prisoner and was most likely ambushed. Now, they try to escape and basically kill a bunch of orcs while doing this. And he lets his captain go in front of him and escape. And when he tries to escape as well and goes up the mountain, or not the mountain, but the dirt hill, he sees his captain standing still and falls and he turns around and there's an arrow there showing that even if they would have succeeded, they would have been dead with all the troops around who can shoot arrows. And I thought that was pretty cool because it kind of raised the suspense. It was like, he's going to escape. And it's like, oh, wait, he's dead. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I'll say this. That was a pretty good episode with that happening. But anyway, uh, while this is all happening as well, because there's a lot of stuff happening, we go into the Halffoots. Now, the stranger who has been killing fireflies and causing a little bit of trouble basically comes in. And stumbles onto uh, the camp of the Halffoots. And while this is happening, everything, they're packing up, getting ready to move on. Because they're kind of like a gypsy culture. Now, before him stumbling in, uh, the father of the Halffoot that we've been following, uh, what's her name? Eleanor. Basically, her father broke his foot after trying to help something and couldn't carry the cart. After they found the stranger, the leader of the um, Halffoots basically says that they have to put them in the back of the cart. Now, she feels guilty. Her mother is understandably, Marigold is understandably angry at her daughter because if they get too far behind, they get basically abandoned. Like, this is kind of cutthroat from what we've seen. Anyway, uh, they, after the morning where they're starting to get more behind, they basically are worried that they're not going to be able to catch up. Poppy, who is the friend that's been helping uh, Eleanor, basically stops and tries to help them. But it is revealed that the reason why the cart is so heavy is because the stranger is there. And they all agree that they're going to need the stranger's help if they're wanting to move the cart and catch up to the others. So this is pretty interesting because we hopefully will see what the heck the stranger's deal is. Is he a friend? Is he a foe? It's too early to tell. But anyway, the one thing I will say is when it came to the kingdom that the elf and Hellbrand ended up in, Numenor, if I remember the name correctly, I will say it was very interesting to see a kingdom that had good relations with elves previously basically turned sour and I don't know if it was because that they felt that they were better than the elves or the elves would have led them to ruin it's again interesting to see a kingdom who hates elves and a kingdom who basically helped the elves could basically resent them around the same time now I will say this 
It's very interesting, and I'm very interested to see what the king has to say about this, since his daughter, who is now queen, who upsurped the king, was an elf lover, or who basically believed in the elves. So again, it should be interesting to see what's next, and I'm really hoping that the plot gets good, because, or not gets good, but it continues to be good, because again, there's a lot of lore, and a lot of people may still not be able to follow it, or those who have read the books are still complaining about it. Anyway, moving on, that's it for TV shows, and we're going to be moving on to movies. First on the list, we're going to be talking about, not Spider-Man, oh my god, where's my head? Captain America 4, New World Order, and it has been revealed that a villain that has was introduced in the MCU is making a comeback. And out of all the villains that have been introduced, I never thought that the leader, the man revealed in the 2008 Hulk film, would be coming back. Now, for those of you who don't know, the leader is a underrated um, Hulk villain. He was affected with gamma radiation, such as the others, but instead of hulking out, this man became smart, evilly smart, and also teamed up mostly with Abomination to get rid of the Hulk, and this man could create other monsters and do a bunch of stuff. Now, whether or not we're going to see this in New World Order, I have no idea. I'm just glad to see that the leader is getting the recognition that he deserves. But again, it's not in a Hulk film, it's in a Captain America film, but either way, it's going to be interesting seeing Sam face against a menace like this, because honestly, the leader is dangerous. Even though he's not super strong, that brain of his has even put the Hulk in a corner, and uh, Sam does not have super strength. The only thing I can really hope for is that they make him menacing and give him the proper respect that he deserves. Anyway, uh, moving on, Hocus Pocus 2 clips have been released. And I gotta say, I am very happy about this. The actresses have the same chaotic and fantastic chemistry they had before. And I was honestly laughing. Like, they were in the store looking for brooms. And one of them finds, I want to say, a mop, the other a broom, and the other one uses, like, sharks, vacuum sharks to lift up, and it's so funny. <laughs> like, honestly, it was really good, and I just smiled, because I honestly wanted this thing to be good, and it looks like we're going to have a fun Halloween. Good job, Disney. Pat yourself on the back. You made a good sequel. Anyway, moving on, that's it for Marvel, not Marvel, I mean, Marvel movies, Disney movies, same thing. Anyway, that's it for movies. We're going to be moving on to video games. And like I said before, Di uh, Disney, uh, Sony, and Nintendo had state of play games, so we have quite a few from both ends. First, I want to talk about the Tekken 8 trailer and how amazing it was. My God, everything that we were shown was on the PS5. And I love the fact that it was actual gameplay footage on the PS5 engine. And not like, oh, we're just going to show you this and it may look just as good. But the fighting looked amazing between, um, oh God, Jiren, not Jiren, Jen, Jenso, Jivera, 
Oh God. Okay. Two uh, father and son. I don't remember. Oh, why am I remember their grandfather? Hey, Hachi Jin Jin Sama. That's the one of the dudes. I forgot what the other dude's name is. Please don't test me on this. But anyway, really great. I'm hoping that the fighting is just as good and I can't wait to get in back into the world of Tekken. And hopefully they don't add any OP characters from Street Fighter because I remember going to a friend's house playing the last Street Fighter and they added Akuma. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with Tekken games, but almost none of them have any defense against range attacks and none of them are basically like very much range attacks and the Hadoken is very much a range attack and you can just spam that and you just win the match like I said hopefully no more OP Street Fighter characters but I am looking forward to any like guest stars and stuff like that who knows I mean the last one had Negan which was very interesting to say the least but anyway we'll see what happens Uh, Moving on, another trailer that had chills run through my body was the new God of War trailer. And wow, was that a great trailer. The quote, death can have me when it earns me, was amazing. (laughs) Chills, just chills. And I mean, the hype just built on this game, really much so. I mean, I already knew how good Ragnarok was, and I'm like, okay, y'all just released the last trailer. You don't have to release any more, but this one just cherry on the top. And I'm really hoping this this game is just as good as everyone's hyping it up to be. And if it is, game of the year, hands down, going to win all the awards. And I really hope that The Last of Us doesn't win it all the awards like they did the last one. But I mean... It was a good game, Last of Us 2, per se. Again, don't want any arguments. God, I hated Ivy. Anyway, uh, like I said before, uh, with the God, with the new God of War game, I'm really hoping Game of the Year, because, oh God, I'm remembered Modern Warfare 2 also came out comes out this year. Ooh, that's going to be a big fight. Modern Warfare 2 or God of War Ragnarok. Probably gonna have to give it to Ragnarok. Again, I'm playing the beta for Modern Warfare 2, but once I get my hands on God of War, it's gonna be over for a few days while I basically, not 100% it, but try to beat the game. Anyway, as you can tell from my voice, I'm very excited to see what Ragnarok has in store for us. Anyway, I'm moving on to Nintendo's side. Breath of the Wild sequel. The trailer has dropped, and it is called... Tears of the Kingdom. Now, while we still really don't know anything about the game per se, the graphics haven't really changed, which, I mean, isn't surprising. It's the Switch. I don't think if even if they did upgrade the graphics, it would be able to run 100% on the Switch. But, I mean, it's a a Link game. No one's really looking at the graphics. People are hyped to see how the gameplay is what the new adventure is, and basically how long it's going to take for people to speedrun it. But yeah, I mean, hell, one of my friends, he basically skipped everything and almost beat Ganon with a stick. That dude was drunk and was skilled. Mostly drunk. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to see what Tears of the Kingdom holds and see what type of game it's going to be because... Good thing is, it's not coming out until next year, so it won't take away from God of War's Game of the Year winning. 
Yep, still rooting for God of War. Anyway, uh, moving on from Breath of the Wild, Bayonetta 3 trailer finally dropped, and it has a release date of October 28th of this year. Now, in the previous games, Bayonetta has basically fought to recover her memories. The second game basically fight demons and stuff like that. And in this third game, she's going to be facing man-made bio-monstrosities called homunculi. Now, this should be interesting since this is, again, man-made and doesn't really have the usual demons or supernatural elements. But I suspect they'll be making appearance. Now, I'm going to be honest, I've really never really played the Bayonetta series. The only time I ever played Bayonetta was on Smash Brothers. But I understand how much of a cult following this game series has. And I'm excited that people finally have a release date, and it's next month. So, yay them. Can't wait to see what how they enjoy it, and I know the fans are excited to see what the next chapter will hold. Now, this is not going to be just a Switch game I'm going to be talking about, but an Xbox game as well. GoldenEye is coming back as a remake or remaster. Now, it kind of is a switch on that because there is a catch. GoldenEye for the Switch will have the same graphics, but won't be the full game with a few chapters missing. But the caveat with that is it's going to have multiplayer that people are going to be able to play as Short Rounds, James Bond, and the other characters that people have loved from the N64 game. While the Xbox remake will be a full remaster with updated graphics, giving the game an entire makeover, but the catch is, is that it's not going to have multiplayer. Now, the reasoning behind this confusing, confusing uh, behind-the-scenes stuff with GoldenEye is basically because of the licensing. The original game on the 64 was a Nintendo exclusive and the rights have switched hands throughout the years that for Xbox to have uh, GoldenEye on their console, they had to agree to a few stipulations. But again, whether or not you have a Switch or an Xbox, if you want both, go right ahead. But if you want multiplayer, you're going to have to get the Switch. As it is, I would have loved a fully remastered game with updated graphics to have a multiplayer, but it is what it is. Anyway, moving on, uh, one of the best Kirby games is coming to the Switch, which is Kirby Return to Dreamland. Now, when it came to the trailer, a lot of the character models have improved, and a lot of the gameplay seems to have taken a thing or two from the previous open-world Kirby game. Now, again, this is one of the best Kirby games that they have ever released, and I'm looking forward to playing it again and having new experiences on the Switch. Speaking of the Switch, uh, Take-Two, which was a console game and won, I believe, Game of the Year last year, is coming to the Switch. And if you have never played this game, play it. It is worth it, and it is a fantastic game. Now, going back to uh, PlayStation, Rise of the Ronin is a new game set in Japan and is basically an action RPG with fast-paced combat, similar to Ghost of Tsushima. Now, it looks fun, and if it's even a slice or even half the game Ghost is, it's going to be fun to play and probably super hard. With that said, I'm still going to be looking forward to playing it. 
Anyway, moving on, a new gameplay trailer for the new Ghostbusters game has been released, and I'm going to be honest, it looks okay. Now, Ghostbusters will always have a soft spot in my heart because I love the franchise, I love the movies, and I really do hope the game is good, but the gameplay kind of looks slow, and I'm going to wait for them to have an open beta for other people to play it. And when the game drops, I'm going to play it and give it an honest review. And again, I really hope that the game itself is good. Because we definitely do not need another bad game. I believe that it can't be any worse than the Saints Row reboot we've had. Because, God, was that a bad game. Anyway, moving on, we're going to be talking about the Bardock DLC that's going to be coming to, of course, Dragon Ball Kakarot soon. And this is going to be telling the story of Bardock. Because it's not like we've already know what happens to Bardock. Will he survive? Will he defeat Frieza? Blah, 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 blah. We've heard this story before. We've played this story before in countless games. And I'm just going to be honest, I'm kind of tired of it. As much as I do love Dragon Ball and the franchise and the games... We really are not a fan. I don't think anyone at this point is replaying the games. The same story we've played a thousand times and going over Bardock again. Like I said, I mean, at this point, I'd rather play a game set in Dragon Ball Super. That would be really fun. And the next big step. Or a game going back to the original Dragon Ball. Well, it's not going to be flashy with Super Saiyans and stuff like that. It'd still be different, but, I mean, I know they're not going to do that, and at this point, I'd rather wait for them to release Universe 3, giving us something new. Anyway, uh, that's my thing with Dragon Ball Kakarot. Again, I know I, I know people love Dragon Ball, I love Dragon Ball, but let's be honest, we've played the story so many times, and we're just waiting for them to release something new. Anyway, uh, moving on, we're going to be talking about Street Fighter 6, and the trailer has been released. Now, I'll say this, the trailer makes the game look good. It's going to be very similar, surprisingly enough, to Dragon Ball Xenoverse, with an open-world hub and creating your own characters, training, adopting fighting styles, and being able to basically fight other players. And in the world hub... It connects to other players and you're able to go up to the screen, purchase like different customizations for your character and fight anyone in the open hub. Like you go up to them, you're like, you want to fight? They say, sure. And you fight them right then and there. It looks really great. And the fact that you can go to the screens and switch between fighting with your character and fighting with one of the established characters in Street Fighter, really great. It's very ambitious, to say the least, and I really hope it works out. Uh, besides that, I mean, I'm going to be honest, it's been a while since I played a Street Fighter game because out of all the fighting games, I've never been really a big Street Fighter fan, but this actually makes it seem worth it, and I might actually check it out. Good job, Capcom. Good job. Anyway, moving on, we're going to be talking about the new reveal trailer for a new character coming to Overwatch 2. Which is uh, Kiriko. She will have ties to Hanzo and Genji. And will be a straight up magic support character. Which is very different. I mean, 
I think it's been a while since we got a, a straight up magic character. Now, her attacks will be somewhat ranged, and she'll be throwing these, um, I don't want to say scrolls, but stuff with some Japanese or Chinese handwriting on there. Anyway, um, while the character looks really cool, and I'm happy to see some more characters coming to the Overwatch universe, I'm really not excited for Overwatch 2, because with everything that's been released about what's going to be happening to this free-to-play with the loot boxes and stuff like that, I really would hate it if Blizzard turned this once great game into a crash, not crash, cash, grabbing loot box world that would fit right in into an EA standard model. That would honestly be tragic. Anyway, only time will tell. Moving on, uh, like I said before, I've been playing the Modern Warfare 2 beta, and I gotta say, it's amazing. I'm playing with my friends, and I'm having a blast. It's like I was playing Black Ops again. Now, I will say this. There are a few glitches when it comes to the uh, loadout screen. Uh, You would have your loadout saved, but once you log off and log back in, there is basically wiped clean, and you don't have them anymore. I will say this. When it comes to uh, sliding, I'm having a bit of a trouble when I run to slide, and it won't slide or it'll have some lag behind it or the fact that uh, whenever I have a gun that is an automatic and semi-automatic it will be with the on auto but work like a semi and I have to switch it to semi to work like an auto the FTAC really does uh, show this a lot and I will say this a lot of the guns have recoil which really suck because I'm having to compensate for that with a bunch of the attachments. Now, I will be playing this game on PC and look forward to see what other game modes they release because the game mode I'm really having fun with is Prisoner. And uh, I will say this, if you guys have not played it and you guys do get the game, the one gun that seems to be broken close range and mid range is the AK-47. Now, it sucks playing it uh, ranged. But you get close with this thing and it insta kills. I think I killed like five, seven people, five to seven people with this. My dude, uh, my friend Steven killed like 13, 14 people with it and was getting all his loadouts. Like it is a very broken gun and I expect it to be patched. But if you're playing the beta and want really good kills, definitely get the AK 47. Really great gun. Anyway, uh, Again, the beta will end tomorrow, sadly, but if this is what's going to be looking like, I am definitely looking forward to playing the game, and I can't wait to see how everything works in the end. Uh, Moving on, we're going to be talking about the Fortnite new chapter and how Chrome has basically taken over the land. Now, I haven't really played the new chapter because I've been worrying about the Modern Warfare 2 beta. But a lot of the gameplay I have seen has added like, I don't want to say Splatoon, but Splatoon like guns. You're able to go full chrome, which I guess protects you a bit. And from what I've seen, the battle pass is something to be desired. I mean, sure, you have some cool characters like Spider-Gwen on there. And I'm actually interested to see. I haven't seen if they've released web shooters for her. Like they did when uh, Peter Parker was there. But I mean 
I'm always here for Fortnite, and I am going to be playing it to 100% the Battle Pass. So hopefully I'll get Spider-Gwen like I get Darth Vader. And we'll see who else arrives on Fortnite because this should be interesting. And like I said, with all this Chrome, the T-1000 easily can be a part of this. And I will definitely get the T-1000 in a heartbeat. Anyway, uh, moving on to our last thing in the video game section is a racing game. A very interesting racing game that is trying to compete where others have failed against Mario Kart. And is the third installment in this series, which is Nickelodeon Kart Race. Yep, if you thought that they were done with the Nickelodeon Kart Race franchise, you were surely mistaken. Now, like the previous games, we'll have other characters from Mario, Rockers Modern Life, Zim, My Life as a Teenage Robot, Jimmy Neutron, a lot of characters from the Golden Age of Nickelodeon. And, I mean, while the two previous games really haven't held a candle to Mario Kart, I really hope this proves to be fun and entertaining, a lot more so than their fighting game they released. Anyway, like I said, happy to see it and can't wait to see what happens. But, anyway, that's it for video games, we're going to be moving on to nerd theories. This is the part of the show where I tell you my theories about some of the nerd stuff I have spoken about throughout this show. Anyway, uh, this is this one of the subjects we're going to be talking about is going to be talking about Overwatch. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like Overwatch is going to fail with this next installment. And I really don't think it's going to return to its glory days that it had five, six years ago. They basically abandoned the first game, going back and forth what they wanted the second one to be. And the drama behind Blizzard really hasn't helped the situation. I mean, going from renaming some characters to all that uh, sexual abuse scandals, it's just been really, really bad. And I am worried, like many fans, that this free-to-play model, since Blizzard has always been about making money, and with the company being on hard time, especially when it comes to some of the stuff will basically just focus on making money and not make this game good. Now, one thing I will say about Blizzard is the fact that before they try to make a huge eSport league around this game, around Overwatch, and they have succeeded to the point, but because they really haven't been updating the game, haven't really been supporting it, the game is basically dead except for a few small loyalists, and I really haven't been hearing anything about their eSport league. Maybe that's just me, but it's kind of sad to see a game that people that people have seen and they basically said, you can still play the first one, which will be connected to the second one, and then turn around to be like, oh yeah, you can't uh, play the first one. You have to jump into the second one because that's where we're going to be having all our focus on. It's kind of sad, and I'm really hoping that Overwatch 2 proves me wrong and ends up being a good game. Now, I am very one I'm very much interested to see if Microsoft backing them up will make a better experience and help them retain a successful esport league since they have their own with Halo. Again, I'm really hoping this game proves me wrong, but who knows. Anyway, another uh thing I want to talk about and I get some people be like, "Hey, how come you didn't talk about this until now?" and I'm like, "Well, It's not really been proven fact, so this will be swinging by the theories. 
But I know a lot of people have been, if you've been paying attention to Twitter and a bunch of stuff, you've seen a lot of the GTA 6 clips or supposed clips have been released. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think these clips are actually real. Now, why I say that is because these clips seem too good to be fake. And I get a lot of people are like, well, it doesn't look finished. But I'm wanting to point out that these clips are apparently from 2019, about three years ago. And they do seem to have some authenticity to them. Now, like they've stated before, Rockstar, they are going to have a female protagonist. And that's what we see on these clips. Uh, One thing that is going to be happening with GTA 6 that had been a rumor was a police car with VCPD, which means that the rumor may be true that we're going back to Vice City, which would be perfect. Everyone loves Vice City. Everyone wants to go back with it. And if we're having a female protagonist, which honestly, I don't care what the gender of the protagonist is, as long as the game is good, should be interesting. I mean, I'm happy about it. It gives people who have been waiting years for some type of sign that GTA 6 is around the corner some hope. And it's interesting to see how dangerous these leaks are because when it comes to the GTA franchise, Rockstar basically puts all rumors in a vault. They try to dissuade rumors, try to keep everything on the hush and hush. So if they have this much of a security risk with 90 clips being released, someone's getting fired. Someone is definitely getting fired, and we'll see what happens, but like I said, I think these clips are real, and if I'm proven to be right, it's going to be really cool to see a trailer soon, or seeing how far they progress with number 6. Because let's be honest, after GTA 6, that's going to be the last GTA for a long time, especially since they've said that they wanted the map to be like uh, Fortnite, where it's ever-changing and ever-updating. And with the technology now, they could probably well accomplish that. But we'll be interested to see what happens with 6. And if we ever get to 7, and I'm still running this podcast, I'm probably going to have a big family by then. Anyway, that's it for theories. We're going to be moving on to current events. Now, as of right now, when this podcast is being recorded, Hurricane Fiona is ravaging through Puerto Rico. And my heart and prayer is with the people of Puerto Rico because this is the first hurricane of the season. And apparently it's doing some really bad damage. I'm hoping that it dissipates and doesn't get any stronger. But with hurricanes and with all this heat happening around the Gulf and the Atlantic, who knows? I just hope people are safe and people are taking precautions. Anyway, that's it for current events. I want to apologize for again for the lateness of this video, which is being released. And I hope that you've enjoyed this episode like everything else. But besides that, you guys have a blessed day and I'll see you guys next week. Sayonara. See you later. Goodbye.